You ever going through a difficult time in your life and question God's hand in your life? You ever thought, God, is this really the plan that, that, that you have for my life? Is what I'm, what I'm going through, this, this trial I'm in, this pain that I'm, I'm feeling, is that really what's, what's best for me? You ever, you ever ask God, God, what are you, what are you doing? In my life, why are you allowing for this to happen? Why do I have to go through this? Surely what I'm going through is not plan A for my life. Surely this is plan C, D, or E, or F at best. Many of us have felt that way, haven't we? If you have your Bibles, turn to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth 2, after Judges, toward the beginning of the uh, Old Testament, We are continuing our series that we started last week through the book of Ruth. Last week we looked at Ruth 1. And for those of you here with us, you will remember that we left one of our main characters in the story feeling in this way. If you were not here with us last week, let me quickly bring you up to speed on the story and then we'll get into Ruth chapter 2. We learned last week in Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 that Ruth takes place, this story takes place during the period of the Judges. And to learn more about the time of the Judges, you can read the book of Judges, which comes right before Ruth. And when you do, when you read that book, you find that this was one of the the darkest times in Israel's history. It was a time of sin and rebellion, idolatry, sexual immorality. We, we also said last week that during one of the darkest times in God's people's history, we have this bright and wonderful story, the story of Ruth. Now, while this is a great story with the wonderful ending, we learned that it has a very rocky beginning. This story begins in Bethlehem. Y'all know that place, right? You know the story about the little town in Bethlehem, right? Okay. And we're told that there is famine in the land of Bethlehem, which is ironic because the name Bethlehem means house of bread. So there is famine in the house of bread. And the writer focuses in on a particular family during this dark and difficult time the family of a man by the name of Elimelech. And we're told that when famine hits, he takes matters into his own hands. He uproots his family from Bethlehem and moves them to Moab so that they have food and drink. But Moab was a wicked place where God's people had no business going. This group of people had an evil past. They were spawned from incest Lot and one of his daughters, you remember the story? They have an inappropriate relationship and from that comes Moab and from Moab comes the Moabites. And this land where they live was a land of godlessness, immorality, and idolatry. And Elimelech chose to move there. He chose food for his family over fellowship with God and he moves his family to this pagan land to live with this polytheistic people in hopes to save their lives. But we learn instead, Elimelech and his two sons, 
named Malon and Kilion, whose names mean sick and dying. Surprise, surprise, they, they die. But not before these two sons marry two Moabite women because they didn't have much choice. They're living in the land of Moab. The two Moabite women that they marry are Ruth and Orpah. So after losing her husband and her two sons, all the men in her family, the, the wife, Naomi is her name, she receives word that bread has returned to the house of bread. There's food once again in Bethlehem. So she sets her sights back toward there. And at first, both of her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, want to go with her. They seem to have a wonderful relationship, but, but Naomi reasons with them and basically says, why would you follow me? I have no more sons. Even if I did have sons this day, are you going to wait for, for them to be of the, the marrying age? She says, no, if you follow me, you won't have a husband and you won't have children, so you need to return to your land, the land of Moab. What Naomi failed to realize is she had something much, much better than a husband and kids for these women. She had the one true God of her people, Israel, to offer these girls. But Naomi, at this time, she didn't seem to value God the way she should. Now she's going to take a turn in this story, but early on she does not. At this time, she was bitter with God for what she had to endure in Moab, and she remained that way when she returned to Bethlehem. She convinced Orpah to stay in Moab. Orpah, sad story. She returns to the Moabites and to their gods, we're told. But Ruth responded in the opposite way. She responds in faith. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, so will I. When, when times got tough, Elimelech, took matters into his own hands, chose food over fellowship with God. Orpah rejected God, but Ruth responds in great faith. Naomi, however, like we said, was bitter. She failed to see God's plan in her pain, felt as if God had just simply dealt bitterly with her, and she's bitter about the situation, so much so that she changes her name from Naomi, which means pleasant, to Mara, which means bitter. Well, this morning, we're going to learn that while Naomi is sulking over her situation, God is working in her situation. We're going to see God's hand of providence clearly in this story today and all throughout the rest of the book of Ruth. I want you to notice God's hand of providence today in our passage. First, I want you to notice his hand in Elimelech's family. That's point number one. God's hand in Elimelech's family. Look at Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Let's stop there for just a moment. Here in verse 1. One of chapter two, we're introduced to another key player in God's kingdom story, a man by the name of Boaz. Notice whose family he's in. 
He was a relative of Naomi's husband from the clan of Elimelech. We're told, I believe in contrast to Elimelech, that Boaz was a worthy man. He was a worthy man. When times got tough for Elimelech, what did he do? He got going, didn't he? When famine hit, instead of hitting his knees, he hit the road, chose food for his family's stomach over, over fellowship with God. But in contrast to Elimelech, we have a relative from his family here named Boaz who is a worthy man. The word worthy at times refers to a man of war, a man of wealth, a man who is extremely capable, a man who gets things done. He was a leader, a man of respect in the community. We're going to learn in just a moment that Boaz was also a godly man. Many also believe him to be a man's man because the name Boaz means strength, mighty one. He was successful. He has great character, loves the Lord. Boaz has everything going for him, and he's also single. He's a guy that many of you ladies with single friends might want to set your single friends up with. Guy like Boaz. Well, this strong, successful, spiritual, single bachelor is going to become very, very important to us in just a moment. And you will see more clearly God's hand in Elimelech's family, okay? For right now, just take my word for it. Let's move on to point number two. I want you to also notice God's hand in Ruth's sacrifice. Look at Ruth chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Now, context is key here. I want you to notice, in contrast to the wealthy Boaz, Ruth and Naomi have nothing. They're poor. Naomi's also bitter. She's broke, hungry, and bitter. Not a good combination, right? Unless you're writing a country song. But Ruth is, she loves her mother-in-law. She loves her greatly, and she is going to once again make great sacrifice for Naomi. Last week in chapter 1, we learned that Ruth chose to remain a widow and childless in order to follow Naomi to Bethlehem. She forsook the gods of Moab for the one true and living God of Israel. In chapter 2, Ruth is making more sacrifices. She said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Now, to understand what Ruth does here, for both her and Naomi, one must understand what, what gleaning is. Context is king, right? In this day, God had determined that the haves would take care of the have-nots, and, and he still has that as his way. That's what we're to do, church. But those who possessed land in this day were to remember that God was the owner of it all. And God wanted the excess from that land to go to those in need. He, he called for landowners to not harvest the entire crop in a field. They, they were to leave some of the grain on the sides in the corners of the field to the poor to go in and work and collect. 
that, that food was to go to feed the poor and the widows. This is like a, an early form of a, a welfare system for the, for the Jewish people, okay? Listen to what we're told in Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 10. You can write that reference down, Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. Listen to this. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Also see Leviticus 23, 22 and Deuteronomy 24, 19 for more on gleaning. This shows you and me how poor Ruth and Naomi were. They had to go glean the fields to have a decent meal. They were, they were struggling. So Ruth is going to have to sacrifice by working the fields. We're also going to learn here in just a moment that that was a dangerous work for a young woman to do. This was not always safe. Women could be attacked. They could be harmed. She's making sacrifice once again for her mother-in-law. And notice that God is going to do a work through Ruth's sacrifice. Look at verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened, underline that word happened, to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. I love this passage. We're told here that Ruth went out to glean the field and she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. She happened to end up in the field of this strong and wealthy and capable and godly bachelor who happens to be of the family of Elimelech. Is that coincidence? Say no. Say no. No. Of course not. Now, how did Ruth know to go to this particular field? Say she didn't. No, she didn't. But you know who did? God did. And aren't you glad that he did? Think about it. If Ruth did not end up in Boaz's field, there would be no need for wise men to go to Bethlehem. You'll learn more about that later. But it's true. The Messiah coming into the world is contingent upon this meeting between Ruth and Boaz in this field. God is directing these events. He is driving history as it work through Providence. I heard a pastor once say, what looks to you and me like chance and circumstance, free will, good decisions, good karma, lucky day is really the gracious providing hand of the God of Providence who is both sovereign and good. God is at work, folks, through Providence. He's at work in this way today. Take comfort no matter what happens in your life. There are no accidents in life. There aren't. We're told in Proverbs 16, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. 
In modern day, you can say this, the roll of the dice seems random, but where it lands is from God. Nothing by chance or circumstance. God is a God of providence. So we see God's hand in Elimelech's family. We see God's hand through Ruth's sacrifice. Notice we also see God's hand in Boaz's kindness. Look at verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Now right away we get a glimpse into the character of this man. He greets his employees in the morning with, The Lord be with you. How many of you have bosses like that? Show up to work, maybe you're sitting in a cubicle, your boss comes by and says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Some of you are like, no, that's not the exchange that I have when I go to work. Notice how his employees respond. They say, the Lord bless you. Man, this is a great relationship here. Some of you are thinking, man, that, that's not the exchange that I have at work. I wish it were. Boaz is a, is a good man. He's a godly man, a man of respect. He loves the Lord. He respects his employees. They love and respect him. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man who is in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who is in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. So, so we learn here, Boaz has been away for a time and he comes back. He's never seen Ruth before. He shows up one day and she catches his eye. Maybe because she's new. Maybe because she was attractive and, and caught Boaz's eye. We don't know why. But he asked about her. He asked his right-hand man in charge of the reaping operations of his field. And he fills him in. He says, you would not have known her because she is not from here. She is a foreigner. She is from Moab with her mother-in-law. Boaz's manager reminds Boaz of the news that is going around about Naomi and Ruth. And it appears as if Boaz knows about this, probably because this is his family, right? And he's, he's telling him, this woman has come back with Naomi and, and is providing for both Naomi and her by gleaning from your fields. He lets Boaz know she's been working hard. She has continued from early morning until now with just a short break. Here and there. Well, Boaz is going to show Ruth great favor. Look at verses 8 and 9. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Several things here. First notice, Boaz addresses Ruth as daughter. He is indicating with this kind address here that he is going to care for her. He is going to provide for her like a father would a daughter. While this relationship is going to, spoiler alert, eventually blossom into a loving marriage relationship at first, 
Boaz indicates that he is simply going to protect her. He's going to care for her. He's going to provide food and drink and safety. Boaz is going above and beyond the law that God required for landowners when it comes to the treatment of gleaners. First, he says, you're not to go to another field. Remain in my field. Stay close to my young women, his servants, his his maids. And whenever you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. He also says, I have charged the young men not to touch you. Apparently, once again, this happened in this day. This job was very dangerous for a young woman. Boaz is going above and beyond for Ruth. He is moving beyond meeting the letter of the law all the way to grace. He is providing her with things that he did not have to provide her with. He's caring for her in ways that went far beyond what God required. Boaz is like Christ in this way. If I were to ask you who's a great savior from Bethlehem, of course, in your minds immediately, Jesus is going to come to mind. Someone else who may come to mind is David, Remember, the great king and savior of, of God's people. But, but Boaz is also a great savior from Bethlehem. He's the big savior from Bethlehem and the family of Elimelech. He shows Ruth great favor. But more importantly than that, we're going to see that through this relationship that Boaz was not the only one favoring Ruth. She is favored by God. God's hand is all over this encounter. And he is going to use this encounter for his kingdom purposes, for the good of his people, and for his glory. All right? So so we have discussed God's hand in Elimelech's family. God's hand in Ruth's sacrifice. God's hand in Boaz's kindness. Now I want you to notice God's hand in Ruth's inquiry and Boaz's response. Look at verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? I love Ruth's response. You know what this tells me about her? She was not expecting special blessing as a result of her being faithful. Ruth did not ascribe to prosperity gospel that says, if I am faithful to God, God is obligated to bless me in the here and now with health and wealth and happiness. She did not have the worldview of her her Moabite people who sought worship and, and tried to appease their many gods so that things would go well for them. Instead, Ruth simply trusted that, that, that she trusted in God no matter what, in the one true God of Israel. She remained faithful to him regardless, no matter if her and Naomi remained poor, regardless if she remained a widow, childless, and hungry, her faith did not waver. Now, she did end up experiencing blessing, right? But she's surprised by it, and she remains humble. She was not expecting preferential treatment for her great faith. She did not say to God, God, because I've made sacrifices to you, I've faithfully followed you, now I'm ready for mine. It's time for you to bless me 30, 60, 100 fold. Tell me you've not heard that. I've heard it. Not Ruth. 
She responds with, why me? Why, why have I found favor in your eyes? Why are you treating me like a daughter? I'm a foreigner, unworthy, undeserving. Boy, we learn something from Ruth's approach here, don't we? Maybe we need to approach God in this way when we're on the receiving end of his blessings, you think? What a wonderful example of humility and faith. If you feel as if you are entitled to the blessings God gives, you've missed it. You've completely missed it. We should approach God in this humble and undeserving way, saying, God, I deserve judgment for my sin, which is why I praise you for your unmerited and undeserved favor. We should respond in this way. Now, we should not dismiss his blessings when they're freely given. We should accept them and be thankful for them. Ruth was, skip down to verse 13. She said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Ruth receives the favor shown her. Notice she refers to Boaz as Lord. She's not calling him her God, but she is showing an enormous amount of respect toward him, bowing in appreciation toward him. She comments on his kindness, saying, you have spoken Kindly, Remember we talked about the key word has said, kindness in the, in the book of Ruth. We see it in Boaz and in Ruth and of course in God. You have spoken kindly to your servant, though I am a foreigner, a Moabite. Notice something else here. We get insight into Boaz's motives as well, don't we? At times, determining one's motives is important. Did he have the right motives when caring for Ruth or did he have evil intentions? Well, we learn that Boaz was drawn to Ruth for the right reasons. In verse 11, we see he praises her for her great character and faith. Look at this, verse 11. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Boaz is drawn to Ruth and he cares for her for the right reasons. He blesses her because she has been a blessing to Naomi. He rewards her for her great sacrifice and for her great faith, leaving her homeland and her people and her beliefs behind. Folks, we get some insight here into what we should be looking for in a friend and a spouse, young people, right? For you young people thinking about marriage, pay attention to what drew Boaz to Ruth. Character is important. Where one is spiritually is important. You would be surprised at how many couples I counsel who are considering marriage, who when I sit down with them begin to talk about where they are spiritually, it's like they've never really thought about it and even considered the significance of it. It's extremely important. So we see the great character of these two individuals and we learn as the story goes on that God, through providence, brings these two individuals together and they're going to become key players in God's kingdom story. So we have discussed God's hand in Elimelech's family, God's hand in Ruth's sacrifice, God's hand in Boaz's kindness, God's hand in Ruth's inquiry, in Boaz's response. And notice, lastly, God's hand 
in Boaz's prayer. Look at verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What a wonderful prayer. Boaz prays for Ruth. Notice he prays that the Lord would bless her in the way she has blessed Naomi. He prays she would be rewarded by Yahweh, the one true and living God, for for all that she has forsaken to follow him. He prays that she, while hungry and tired and widowed and childless, he prays that she would take refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. Wonderful prayer by Boaz. And it is significant that that Boaz is the one praying this prayer. You know why? Because God is going to use Boaz to answer the prayers he prays for Ruth. The Lord is going to use Boaz as the instrument of blessing to Ruth. He is going to use Boaz to provide for both Ruth and Naomi. He is going to use Boaz to reward Ruth for her great sacrifice by, by giving up and forsaking all that she knew in Moab to follow after Naomi and follow after the one true and living God. We're going to learn in this book that Boaz is going to become Ruth's husband. He's going to give her children. He is going to rescue this family. Get this, believers. We learned something very, very practical and important here. At times, God has it in his plans to use you to be the answer to your own prayers. You ever thought about that? While praying for God to help an individual, maybe financially, at times what you need to do is consider whether or not God is leading you to meet that need. When praying for someone to come to Christ, consider the fact that that you just might be the instrument that God wants to use to share Christ with them. If a person is struggling spiritually and you're praying for them to grow in godliness, consider the fact you might be the person that God is choosing to use to pour into that individual and disciple them so that they grow in godliness. Very practical, right? God uses Boaz to be the answer to his own prayers. And maybe, just maybe, God is wanting to use you to be the answer to your own prayers. See the study guide this week. We're going to talk more about that and and make challenges there. Let me end with this. Let me end by drawing your attention back to these two characters, Ruth and Boaz. We learned some significant things here about God's gospel from these two characters. Again, like we said last week, we learned from Ruth, she was born into a pagan land amongst a pagan people. She was poor, destitute. She was a widow, childless, and lowly. Yet in her lowly state, she turned away from her pagan past. She forsook all, and she turned to the Lord. In this passage, she entered into a field. And she looked to the owner of the field in faith, a man by the name of Boaz, a man of wealth, a man of strength. She looked to him, she trusted in him for relief and rescue. Do you see where I'm going here? Boaz acknowledges Ruth's faith, and because of her faith, he goes beyond meeting the letter of the law all the way to grace, provides her with food and drink and safety and security. Boaz acts as her great redeemer. He also intercedes for her. Do you see that? 
so that she would be blessed by God in every way, kept by him safe and secure under his wings. Folks, we are like Ruth. Poor, wretched, enter into this world apart from and opposed to God. Praise be to God that he chose to deliver us like he did Ruth, send us a redeemer like he did Ruth. Boaz, in this story, serves as a living illustration of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a type of Christ, majestic and strong, both able and willing to save. This is why Charles Spurgeon refers to Jesus as our glorious Boaz. J. Vernon McGee said, Boaz is a picture and a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, like Ruth, have a kinsman also, a redeemer, one who is made like we are yet sinless, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. He is the one who is able to save us to the uttermost, end quote. In our story today, we learn that Ruth, while humbled, that her savior, Boaz, would respond in kindness toward her, a foreigner, a pagan, and provide relief and rescue for her. We learn that Ruth still responded by receiving the gift of food and drink and security and safety. She trusted in Boaz as her great savior. We must do the same. Christ has come to save. He has come from heaven to earth. He has entered into his field. The world he created. He has come. He lived among us. He lived for us. He laid his life down and he rose again in order to save us. And while that should humble us because we are undeserving, what we must do in response is look to him and trust in our glorious Boaz, the Lord Jesus Christ, for salvation. Are you trusting in him? I pray that you would. Forsake your sin. Leave your land of Moab behind. Look to and trust in God's Savior, Jesus Christ, alone for your salvation and be saved. If you have not, now's the time, today's the day to do it. Let's pray.